Hello, and welcome again to a conservative historian podcast. My name is Bell Avis. The date of this recording is April 9th, 2020. And as I'm recording this, the coronavirus is still raging across the entire world. Hundreds of thousands of cases, probably closing in over a million by the time of this recording, and tens of thousands of deaths, and trillions, trillions of dollars of untold economic destruction have been wrought by this disease, by this pandemic. Once this is over, and it will be over, we are going to have some decisions to make. And that part of that decision-making process includes one that, frankly, as a nation, we have been struggling with for probably the better part of 60 years, especially since in 19, the middle of the 1960s, the Medicare and Medicaid Act was passed. Now, also in 2020, the Democrats featured a uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, a candidate for the president who was recently dropped out of this election, but nevertheless, he had an outward impact upon the debate, bringing the entire Democratic Party leftward closer to his vision of things rather than towards what we would call the center ideology of the country as a whole. And one of the things that Senator Sanders talks a lot about is health care. So this podcast is, Is Healthcare a Right? And the title of it is Healthcare is Not a Right. So here is our argument. First, a quote, John Locke. Quote, All mankind, being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life. Health, liberty, or possessions. Unquote. Let me repeat some pieces of that. Life, health, liberty, or possessions. And this was from two treatises on civil government from John Locke. Now, for those who are tutored in the environs of the modern academy, the words above in its writer may seem exotic and yet oddly familiar. Less than a hundred years later, after the two treatises on civil government, Jefferson would adopt these words in the Declaration of Independence, amending possessions to pursuit of happiness. But he and we would note that there were certain self-evident truths and rights granted to mankind by its creator, and that these rights, inalienable in his words, could not be denied or taken away. But note, in his words, he talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But Jefferson, unlike Locke, excluded the word health. In Jeffersonian belief, health was not an inalienable right. Though Jefferson was in favor of property rights and brought a large degree of skepticism to professions such as banking, he broadened that concept to the pursuit of happiness. Yet again, that key omission from Locke's original writing was the removal of the word health. Even in Locke's version, the concept of health was clearly the physical protection of the person from the outside force, whether that be criminals or the armies of foreign powers. In the 19th century, the concept of individual health care as a right, regardless of harm committed by another human being, began to gain traction. One of the first proposals of government-funded health care began in the German Empire in the late 1800s, one of Bismarck's brainstorms. In the 20th century, countries such as England instituted government-managed health care on the basis 
that this was a right. So England felt it was a right and created the National Health Service subsequently. This occurred after World War II. In several interviews, including one delivered on October 14, 2018 on CNN, Senator Bernie Sanders, the aforementioned uh, Bernie Sanders, stated that health care is a right, not a privilege. The Sanders and a host of politicians, professors and journalists of the left, place health care alongside life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like Locke, they would have stuck that in there, but with a little bit of a more broad definition. The challenge with this, subs- with this supposition is the concept of individual choice. If an army invades the U.S., throws people into a prison camp, and then later shoots you, that would be a denial of inalienable rights. The same if a criminal kidnapped, murdered, or stole property. In these cases, the citizen is not the active principal, but rather the passive or relative actor in this scenario. But it is not the same with health care. If a person chooses to smoke, if a person chooses to overeat, issues exercise, drinks vast amounts of alcohol, or ingests prodigious amounts of crystal meth, it will have a deleterious effect on one's health. This is undeniable. Sanders, in his ilk suggesting that a person can treat their bodies however they choose, and that is still the obligation of the state, and remember the state funded by its fellow citizens, is it still that piece that is obligated to provide health care? The state funded by the citizenry. Does the person who eats well, gets exercise, or lives an abstemious life receive the same quote-unquote right as one who does not? Is the right of every American citizen to not be murdered the same as the right of every American citizen to eat at McDonald's and consume three pints of Ben and Jerry's every single day and have somebody else have to compensate for that? One of the issues with quote-unquote rights is that they are actually not guaranteed, not really inalienable, because to protect our life and liberty, we need laws and those willing to enforce them. What is our lives without police in the U.S. Navy? And what are police and armies without American citizens actually paying for these services? In George Will's seminal, The Conservative Sensibility, he talks that the goal of the state is to secure rights, but then he talks about what are natural rights and inalienable rights. And all of those natural rights would exist equally to every citizen. But if healthcare is a right and each citizen doesn't treat themselves equally, is that then a right that other uh, citizens who do have to pay for? These, these rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, can and should be equally enjoyed by all citizens. And good Americans should pay their taxes to help the government secure these rights. But again, should that healthy American who is in that way due to personal choices obligated to pay for that right? The left loves isms and none more than the concept of embracing racism, sexism, classism as being endemic to society. The left loves those because these are serious issues in their minds that they need to then solve. In other words, you can't solve the isms without the progressive. Therefore, it's almost like chicken and egg. This last being the special purview of Sanders, classism. But a person does not choose to be an African-American 
person does not choose to be a man or woman, well, at least at birth, given the new leftist ideology. And they do not choose to be born into wealth or poverty. Of course, if you could have that choice, we'd a normal person would pretty much, unless you're Francis of Assisi, you would choose to be born into wealth. But a person does choose how to treat their body. And it is beyond ludicrous that the individual who rejects obesity does not smoke, do drugs, or eat enough sugar to kill an orca whale be treated the same as one who does. But what about those healthcare issues that the individual cannot control? Some people get cancer. And others with the same health care history do not. Some get multiple sclerosis. And others can run in marathons well into their 70s. To ignore this argument is to be callous. We understand that. But even here, there are gray areas. Did the person get cancer because they smoked? Or did they get cancer because they grew up in a family of smokers? Maybe the parents smoked and they did not. Again, the parents made that choice, but they made that for them. Did the diabetes come across because of obesity? In other words, was it type 1 or type 2 diabetes? Did the person, it, it, yet there are still many healthcare issues that have nothing to do with choices in lifestyle. The logical answer would be to provide healthcare to those individuals who did not have a choice but deny, deny to those who threw away the opportunity of health to lifestyle choices. But then, who decides this differentiation? between those of who fate looked askance and those who thought drinking Jack Daniels for breakfast was a good idea. For one, Sanders and his ilk would not even attempt to make these distinctions. Medicare for all means all. After all, in Sanders' worldview, the government is the best and proper dispensary for all things, including healthcare. So why maintain a nuanced system when a similar English national health system is better? And then there is a very healthy debate about whether this system is actually better, given stories of long wait times and the very loud example of corruption in one governmental health care system that we have with us today, and that is called the Veterans Administration. But there is a better system, and that one is more choice. There's a system already in place to help with those unexpected and unwanted decisions in health risk, and that is insurance. Insurance companies already price in factors such as medical tests, family history, age, and they charge accordingly. Whether this actually compels better behaviors is hard to tell, but it does not take a leap of logic to decide that the opposite, the disincentivization of healthy choices would be a bad thing. The Medicare and Medicaid in place do not make those important distinctions of choice. And Medicare's own foundation predicts the fund will be out of funds in seven years from this writing. Seven years. The key word in the Jefferson Amendment of Rights is pursuit. And pursuit, again, by its nature, implies a choice and a degree. It is the right of people making the right choice to accommodate the poor choices of another citizen. Thank you.